Hi everyone, and welcome to Utility Safety In-Depth, where we take a deeper dive into topics recently covered in Incident Prevention Magazine. I'm Kate Wade, the editor of Incident Prevention and your host for this podcast. In this episode, we sit down with Sharon Lipinski, who authored an article for the April-May 2021 issue of Incident Prevention about the biological basis for complacency. Sharon is the habit superhero and CEO of Habit Mastery Consulting, which helps organizations increase their targeted safety behavior by up to 150%. Among other things, she is also a certified gamification for training developer and an instructor, speaker, and coach dedicated to helping people create the right habits so they can be happier, healthier, and safer at home and in their work. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you so much, Kate. It's a pleasure to be with you. It's a pleasure to have you here. So I'd love to start off this episode of the podcast by discussing a little bit about your background. Currently, you're the CEO of Habit Mastery Consulting. Can you tell us a little bit about your education and your past experience? And also, what led you to opening a consulting business focused on helping people build good habits that can improve safety behavior? Well, I kind of got into it in a roundabout way. I was actually uh, helping people change their exercise habits and their eating habits. And I had a friend who worked for a defense contractor and she says, you know, Sharon, what we need help with are our safety habits because we keep talking about the same things and we keep doing the same training and yet nothing's changing. And I took a really deep breath because that seemed really serious and important. And I wasn't sure that I was going to be able to help. So I read a bunch of books, I attended some conferences, and I realized that I did have something to kind of add to the conversation that was happening around safety. And that was uh, four years ago. And I really haven't looked back since. It's been challenging and fascinating work um, and very rewarding to work with companies. And, you know, we, I like to think of myself as the bridge. Where are you now? Where do you want to go? And what are the strategies that are going to get you there? And that's what we help people do. Awesome. So you wrote an article for our most recent issue of Incident Prevention. Uh, The title of it is The Biological Basis of Complacency. And in the article, you offer up a a new, uh, more accurate definition of complacency. Can you share that definition with us and then explain how it's different from previous ideas about complacency? Yeah. So I got interested in this topic because, you know, in my experience, I kept hearing people talk about complacency and complain about it, but there wasn't really this kind of identifiable thing, the thing that I felt I could put my finger on, on what exactly is complacency, because different people seem to use it to refer to different kinds of events, to talk about different kinds of things. And, and what I wanted to do was see is, is there something definitive? that we could say about complacency. And the article I submitted to Incident Prevention is based on a recent research report I completed. Uh, For this report, I surveyed 130 safety professionals, did in-depth interviews with 20 deeply experienced safety professionals, consulted with a neuroscientist. And based on all of that information, the definition that I came up with is that Complacency is a state of decreased external awareness and reduced sensitivity to hazards. And it's caused by the brain's ability to activate neural pathways that require less prefrontal cortex activity. And it's different from past understandings of complacency for a few reasons. And I'll just touch on two of them right now. But one is, is that what this means is that complacency is entirely internal. 
And safety professionals have been looking for external clues of an internal state. What they're looking for is eyes not on task and goofing off and not taking the risk seriously. But those are external clues to an internal state, and they are not a reliable way to detect complacency. And secondly, it locates the source of complacency in the parts of the brain's in the parts of the brain that are being activated. And when we identify the source of complacency in this manner, it opens up a whole new set of strategies for tackling it. Ultimately, it's I think the key takeaway here for professional safety professionals is that because of how the human brain has evolved to operate, complacency is an unavoidable risk factor. We can manage it, but not eliminate it. So... You know in the article that this definition of complacency reflects the current neurobiological assessment of what happens in the brain when habits are established. Can you explain a little bit more to me and to our listeners about what happens in our brains when we do a task for the first time versus performing a task that's become a habit? So complacency is a byproduct of habit. And often when we use this word habit casually, we're referring to it in this kind of squishy sense. Oh, we need better behaviors. We need better habits. But that is not a scientifically accurate representation of what a habit actually is. And we know now because now we have advanced neuroimaging. We have scientific experiments. And so what we know is that a habit is a neural pathway in the brain and it's created through repetition. And it begins with a collaboration between two parts of the brain. So let's start with the prefrontal cortex. This is the part of your brain that sits above your eyes. Uh, It's involved in many of our executive functions. So things like evaluating future consequences, making decisions, paying attention, determining relevant information. And of course, employees would be so much safer, so much more productive if we were using our prefrontal cortexes all of the time. So that's the prefrontal cortex. It's an amazing safety resource. But then we also have the striatum. And the striatum is found in the center interior of the brain. It's about the size of a walnut. It's right on top of your brainstem. If you can just imagine going into the interior of your, of your skull. Okay. The striatum is our habit center, our reward center, and our goal-motivated behavior center. And so when you're doing something new, we're going to have this communication loop fire up between the two of them. And because your brain wants you to be successful at this activity, it's going to work really hard. All the neurons are going to be firing. So, Kate, did you learn how to drive on a stick shift? Yes, I did. Okay, me too. Now, now probably you were very uh, much better at it than I was. For me... Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. You know, it's like 30 years later and I'm still not quite over it because learning how to drive was overwhelming for me. That I was learning how to pay attention to the lights and the drivers and signs and did I put my turn signal on. I'm also learning that complicated maneuver where you press in on the clutch, you put the car in gear, and like with the right magic pressure, you press in on the gas and you release the clutch. And I sat through more than one green light in an utter panic, just stalling my car out over and over again, right? In the beginning, driving is hard, but now driving is easy. And I'll admit it that I have gotten in my car in my driveway. I've arrived at my destination and thought, holy crap, I hope I've stopped at every stoplight because I don't even remember the drive. Has that ever happened to you? 
100%. Yeah. So that is the habit creation process. When driving becomes a habit, you don't have to work very hard at it. It's just the neurons at the beginning and at the end. And the rest of that time, you can think, okay, uh, all right, what phone calls do I need to make when I get to the office today? What deliveries are we expecting? What errands do I need to run on my way home from work? Habits are this incredibly valuable productivity tool, and it's driven by this brain's ability to learn rapidly, to rapid, to move repetitive behaviors deep into our brain at a very f- quick pace. So... I personally love the line in your article that reads, complacency is not a conscious choice or moral failing. Why do you think there continues to be a stigma attached to complacency? And what do you think can be done to destigmatize it? Well, I think complacency has been stigmatized because it feels like something that people can just will away. If only they cared more about their safety, if only they cared more about their coworkers, if only they paid attention, if only they took the risks more seriously. And when you approach complacency from that angle, then absolutely, it sounds terrible. And and I think many employees who have been accused of complacency have felt like they were responsible for things that happened. Uh, And I hope that this paper destigmatizes it because we are all coming in and out of complacency all the time. Because complacency is this huge competitive advantage for our brains. But because our brains are so amazing, it can be really hard to accept the fact that the processing power of our brains is limited. And there's this great book by Daniel Kahneman called uh, Thinking Fast and Slow. Totally recommend checking it out. And he writes, uh, he gives this great example. And he's writing about, imagine that you're trying to make a left-hand turn onto busy oncoming traffic. And somebody asks you, says, quick, what is 17 times 24? You can't do both of those activities at the the same time, right? right? Now, I know that's kind of an unlikely example. We're not usually doing math while we're driving. But it just serves to illustrate that the brain has more potential work than resources to complete that work. And it is constantly making trade-offs and decisions about what is more important. If you just take a moment to think about everything that your brain has to handle. We have, you know, just with our own bodies, we have our internal temperature rate and our blood oxygen level. Am I blinking enough? Are my eyes dry, right? We've got all of this just going on with our bodies. Then we have the whole external world we're dealing with. Colors, shapes, people, signs, things that could be snakes and spiders. And then everything that we have to do with our job on a daily basis. So there's so much information that the brain has to rely on these shortcuts. And there are many, many different types of shortcuts. The one that's applicable to our topic here is habit. Think of habit as a neurological shortcut the brain uses when it's engaged in a repetitive task. We have all of these habits and they're helping us process our emotions, our thoughts, our decisions, and our actions in a very short amount of time. So what happens is that we encounter a situation and the brain says, okay, I know what's going on here. We've dealt with this before. Here's this neural pathway that's going to make it quick and easy for me. And then these freed up mental resources are available for other cognitive tasks. So it's a huge productivity tool, but it's also important to note that even if productivity were were not the goal, our brains would still use our habits because it's easier and our brains are lazy. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it's true. And it's nothing personal. It's not about you. It's just the nature of the human brain. It does not want to fire up the prefrontal cortex if it doesn't have to for any longer than it needs to do it. And what we want to do is understand this, embrace our brains and learn to work with it instead of asking it to do things that it's not designed to do. So I know that that was a lot of information. So let me just highlight, I think, two key concepts in that. One, complacency is valuable. And two, complacency is inevitable. And when we embrace those concepts, it's going to naturally destigmatize complacency because now we can recognize it for what it is. It is a valuable tool that has some very serious drawbacks. So in your experience, how have organizations historically tried to address or fix employee complacency in the workplace, not knowing necessarily all of the things that we know now? It seems to me that it's mostly addressed with strongly worded advice to not be human. It's saying, hey, pay attention, care more. It's writing up reports and disciplining people. And those things haven't worked. And that's because giving humans advice to not be human is actually isn't very helpful. We can't really do that. Not consistently. Now, given the scientific data and your updated definition of complacency, are there better ways for organizations to address worker complacency, particularly when it comes to hazardous task performance? Yeah, I think so. And so I cover six different principles, and obviously we can't cover all of those right now. Uh, So I'll I'll touch on two that I think are really valuable Um, and just kind of encapsulate it in, in the sense that It's really about using the brain's natural tendency to create neural shortcuts when it helps you, when it's advantageous. But when it's not advantageous, it's about strategically re-engaging the prefrontal cortex. So how do you do that? Well, let's take the first example, using neural shortcuts to your advantage. What that means is repeating desired behaviors until they can be performed rapidly confidently and without error and that without error part is really important Uh, the u.s army uh, taught my husband uh, they had a mantra and they would say we don't practice until we get it right we practice until we can't get it wrong and it's the practicing that's going to build these neural pathways so what are the safety procedures you want to be happening automatically let's take for example maintaining three points of contact when descending from a truck or ladder Practice that repeatedly until it becomes the only way that people descend. If that default neural wiring follows the safety, the safest behavior, then your default level is going to be, your default safety level is going to be higher. And also think about practicing those emergency procedures. These things that you hope it never happens, but if they do happen, your employees need to have this neural wiring that they can call on. Um, And for this, virtual training is very helpful because it creates this immersive environment. Uh, And what that can help do is give employees the opportunity to practice following through on things with the same emotions that they would be feeling, that same adrenaline rush if they were actually experiencing a real-life emergency. So repetition is that first principle. Mm-hmm. And then the second one that we can talk about is cognitive reengagement. And let's kind of just go back to that brain biology that we talked about. If the problem with complacency is that we're hanging out in the striatum and we're not using the prefrontal cortex, then what we want to do is move that brain activity back to the prefrontal cortex. How do you do that? 
Well, there are a number of ways. Some are behavioral and some are procedural. So let's take, for example, a Ford Motor Company. They have given employees smart tools in the 10-speed rear-wheel drive transmission assembly. And what this tool does is it shines a light onto the surface that lets operators know that you're using the right tool in the right place. And this visual cue is an opportunity for operators to re-engage to correct potential problems. And so the question for you is, is, well, where can we do that? Where can we provide these visual cues? Where can we put in these systemic processes that are going to let employees have the opportunity to notice and correct a problem? And then a second place that you want to think about re-engaging is before an unrecoverable step is executed. And an unrecoverable step is something that can't be undone once it's done. Now, this is not related to the utility field, but it's, I think, a very interesting example. And it has to do in the medical field because wrong site surgery is still a way too common problem, even though they have universal checklists, right? And everybody <laughs> these days in all kinds of work, we have checklists, but they're not enough. So smart the start box system developed... Um, a system where you use a mobile app and through a series of voice recordings, color codings that indicate laterality, which is the side of the body that the surgery is supposed to occur, still leveraging those checklists, having timeout requirements. And then the process ends with a forcing function. Not until they've gone through that whole process to identify, to confirm the patient's identity to confirm it's the correct procedure, the correct site, the correct laterality. And that's all been documented and it's been color coded that you've passed all of these things. Only then is the surgeon handed the blade to conduct the first incision. Now, obviously not necessarily applicable to uh, utility, but I think it's a useful illustration about how do you force the brain to re-engage before it gets to proceed any further. Yeah, that is interesting. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I wanted to to touch on, uh, you had mentioned the paper that you had published on the biological basis of complacency. Can you give us um, some idea of what kind of insights it provides for safety professionals and also tell us where people can access the report if they want to get a copy of it? Yeah. So you can get it at our website, habitmasteryconsulting.com. And there's a link on there where you can download it. Um, and so in this report, in addition to some of the things we've talked about today, we dive a little bit deeper into the brain science. We also offer full uh, six principles and strategies underneath each of them. Um, and these are principles and strategies that the safety professionals themselves told me that they're using, what they're finding working um, out in the field. So lots of great information in there. All right. So to close out the podcast, do you have any final words of wisdom uh, regarding complacency that you want to share? Yeah. You know, I think what I would try to impress is that com uh, impress is that complacency is a relentless biological drive. As soon as your employees start learning a new activity, as soon as they start implementing a new safety procedure, the process of building neural pathways in their brains begins. And it's at that point that complacency is going to become a risk factor. This is never a hazard that you get to check off your list because it never goes away. Every human being's 
every human being's brain, yours, your employees, your CEOs, every human being's brain is going to be inclined to rest in habit mode. It's going to avoid activating its prefrontal cortex whenever possible. And it's inevitable. And so we have to plan accordingly. And it's this constant process of strategically reengaging the prefrontal cortex. It's constantly surprising employees, constantly triggering their reawareness. Uh, and again, a lot more strategies for how to do that are included in that report. Thank you so much for your time today, Sharon. We really appreciate it. Um, just as a reminder to our listeners, Sharon's article is now available in the April-May issue of Incident Prevention, which can be accessed online at incident-prevention.com. Until next time, stay safe and be well. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of utility business media and its employees. It is strongly recommended that you discuss any actions or policy changes with your company management prior to implementation.